Thank you for downloading Crises and Kings with Rabbi Michael Hatton, an exploration of the Book of Samuel. This series is a production of Pardes North America in partnership with the Corn Podcast Network and is lovingly sponsored by the Newstein family in memory of Rabbi Dr. Joseph Newstein for his fourth yard site. Be sure to subscribe wherever you are listening. And now, Michael Hatton. Welcome back, everyone, to our Pardes podcast on Sefer Shemuel. This is Michael Hatton in Jerusalem. Last time, as you recall, the Philistines returned the ark after their towns had been decimated by a divine visitation. Although they had defeated the Israelites on the battlefield and had imagined to themselves that in capturing the ark, they had defeated the God of Israel, in fact, the story turned out quite differently, and they were forced to admit that the Ark of the Covenant, or what it symbolized, which is the presence of God, actually was much more powerful than they. And so the Ark was returned to Beit Shemesh. It arrived in Beit Shemesh, but the lethal effects continued. The text reports that when it arrived in Beit Shemesh, well, the people did remove it from the wagon and offer sacrifice to God. They also peered inside of the ark, verse number 19. Almost like a Raiders of the Lost Ark moment, the people of Ben Shemesh were stricken when they peered into the ark, demonstrating a lack of respect, and thousands of people died. The people were in mourning that they had been so stricken, and from Beit Shemesh, the ark was conveyed to Kiryat Ya'arim, and there it remained in the house of Avinadav on the hill, with Elazar, his son, appointed to look after the ark and ensure that the proper respect was demonstrated towards it. In essence, with these stories, you might say we have completed a unit of the book. We saw the fall of Shiloh and the corrupt priesthood. We saw the capture of the ark by the Philistines and its eventual return. And the theme seems to be the idea that things associated with God and with God's presence have to be treated with the utmost gravity. The priests who abuse their power in God's name, or the people of Israel that ascribe divinity to an object rather than to God, recklessly risk their future. And in the end, Shiloh is destroyed, the ark is taken captive, and the lesson is born home. That God is not to be found in the house or in the work of the priests, or even in the Ark of the Covenant itself, unless the people of Israel are sincerely devoted to the hard spiritual work of doing what's right and doing what is good. And that continues in chapter 7. The text reports in verse number 2, The Ark arrived in Kiryat Ya'arim vayirbu hayamim in verse number 2, The days went by, and twenty years passed. And the people of Israel gathered or streamed towards God. And Rashi points out very, very beautifully what brought about that change. The people of Israel now redirecting their efforts to a genuine reconciliation with God. What brought about that change was actually Samuel himself 
As Rashi puts it, He would make his way from city to city, and he would judge them, and he would admonish them, and he would guide them, and he would instruct them, and he would do everything that Chofni and Pinchas and the priests at Shiloh failed to do. And Shemuel said to the people of Israel, if you are truly interested in returning to God with all of your hearts, remove the idolatry from your midst and he will save you from the Philistines. And they did so in verse number four. They removed the Be'alim and the Ashtarot and they served God alone. Samuel now gathers the people for an assembly at Mitzpah and he prays on their behalf. The people come to Mitzpah, they draw water and pour it out before God. Perhaps a symbol of mortality, water poured out on the ground that quickly is absorbed and disappears. Perhaps a symbol of pouring out their hearts before God in sincere repentance. And they fasted on that day in verse number six. And they said, we have sinned to the Lord, and Shemuel judged the people of Israel in Mitzpah. And of course, this is very significant because it does indicate that Shemuel is in fact a judge, just as Eli was a shofit before him. But the nature of Samuel's judgeship is fundamentally different. This is really the first time since the book of Joshua certainly the book of Judges, that we have actually seen a leader that involves himself with instructing the people, teaching the people, admonishing the people, and ultimately inspiring the people to change their behavior. It has never happened in the book of Judges until this point. It didn't happen with Eli. It certainly didn't happen with Chofni and Pinchas. Essentially, Shimuel now emerges as the ideal judge. To elaborate on judging, Rashi points out, judging here means something judicial. To solve cases between people, disagreements and arguments concerning monetary matters or other transgressions. So judging here has the sense of making society a better place, but it also has the sense of inspiring and guiding and teaching and bringing people closer to God. And Shemuel does all of that by investing the hard work that's necessary for a leader to do. When the Philistines heard that the Israelites gathered at Mitzpah, they naturally assumed that the Israelites were gathering for battle and they gather in turn. The people are overwhelmed by the prospect of facing the Philistines in battle again. They call on Shemuel to cry out to God. Verse number eight, so that God will save us from the Philistines. And of course, that is a parallel quote 
to chapter 4. Remember what the people said in chapter 4 when they were threatened by the Philistines, we will take the Ark of the Lord from Shiloh. It will come into our midst and save us. And they mistakenly assumed that the Ark as an object would save them from the Philistines. And now in this moment of repair and teshuvah, they put their trust not in the ark, but in God. He will save us from our enemies. Shemuel offers a modest sacrifice. He cries out to God and God responds. Even as the Philistines mass for battle, they are overwhelmed and the Israelites defeat them and pursue them and eventually triumph over them. Verse number 12 reports that Shemuel sets up a commemorative stone to mark the spot of the victory, and he called that stone's name Even Ha'ezer, the stone of assistance or help, because God assisted us and helped us to this point. And of course, this is the very same name of the battle site reported in chapter 4. When the Philistines massed against the Israelites, they went to Afek and the Israelites went to Evan Ha'ezer. And in chapter 4, the meaning of the name had not been explained. It was, as it were, premature. And it's now that we learn why that place was called Evan Ha'ezer, because that is the place where Israel defeated the Philistines because of Shemuel's intervention. Effectively, what is being set up in this chapter is a mirror image of chapter 4. Philistines are massing for battle. Israelites tremble in fear. They wonder how they will engage the enemy. In the chapter 4 version, they put their hopes mistakenly in the object called the Ark. And in the chapter 7 version, they put their hopes correctly in God. And so the name Evan Ha'ezer, which in chapter 4 was the site of the first defeat, now becomes appropriately the site of the triumph. And the Philistines were subjugated in verse number 13 and no longer threatened the people of Israel for as long as Shemuel remained judge. Vaishpot Shemuel at Israel, verse number 15, Shemuel judged the people of Israel all the days of his life. Unlike the judges in the book of Judges, who arose in a moment of crisis and were inspired for a short time to save the people from their oppressors and perhaps restored stability for a lengthy period of time. This is the first report of a judge whose entire life is devoted to the work. And in fact, if you remember, we have known Shemuel since he was a small child. His whole life has been spent in devotion to God, in devotion to the people of Israel, in devotion to justice, 
in devotion to righteousness, in devotion to good deeds, and to guiding the people to a more constructive place. And every year he made the rounds in verse number 16. The Savav Beit El, going around the region of Beit El, Gilgal, and Mitzpah, and judging the people of Israel in all of these locations. Another first, a judge who goes out to meet the people and doesn't wait for the people to come to him or her. A judge who every single year makes the rounds, every single year visits communities, creates relationships, provides ongoing guidance. Truly, this is a vision of what an ideal judge ought to be. Uchuvato haramata kishambeto. He would return to Ramah because that is where his house was, Visham Shafat Israel, and there he judged the people of Israel, Vayiven Sham Mizbeach Lashem, and there he built an altar to God. Interestingly enough, the word in the original Hebrew text for he would return to Ramah is the word Tshuva, which of course has to do with returning. But the use of the term here is very significant because what it indicates, what it alludes to, is that Shemuel effectively has devoted his life to bringing the people of Israel to a place of tshuva. And the 20 years that the ark remained in Kiryat Ya'arim, announcing the opening of the chapter, correspond to the 20 years that Shimuel spends actively involved in his work of bringing the people closer to God. So you might say, looking at the overall picture, the book began with a description of Shiloh and the corruption at Shiloh and the priesthood of Shiloh, which abused its power to oppress, and Shemuel stood in contrast to that. And then there was the Ark of the Covenant, which became some sort of a object, a talisman, and the people of Israel forgot exactly what they were supposed to be devoted to. And Shiloh was destroyed, and the priesthood was overthrown, and the ark was taken captive. And now Shemuel emerges as the counterpoint to all of that, offering a different possibility, a different way of doing things, and a more constructive outcome. Essentially, with Shemuel's career, now effectively coming to an end, the period of the judges also comes to an end. The next chapter, chapter eight, will introduce us to a new development. Let's just consider for a moment what a judge can and cannot do. Typically a judge in the book of Judges 
or in the case of Eli or Shimuel, is a regional leader. They do not have a national reach. And even Shimuel, who makes the rounds, does not cover the entire geography of the Israelite tribes. So a judge is a regional leader, and that means limited. A judge has certain powers. A judge can educate and educate. A judge can teach and instruct. A judge can lead into battle, but a judge is not capable of creating some sort of a larger or more permanent framework for governing the people. That's going to require a different kind of political arrangement. Up until this point, the tribes of Israel remain as tribes of Israel. They are not unified into the people of Israel, although that is a process underway. They still maintain their tribal loyalties. Those were especially prominent in the book of Judges, less prominent in what we have seen so far in Sefer Shemuel, which is a sure indication that as the tribes coalesce, they are moving towards a different kind of political arrangement that will speak not to the individual tribe, but to the people of Israel. But it is a process over time. So Shemuel, as it were, will serve as the conclusion to the period of the judges, offering us finally, at this late date, an expression of what a judge ought to be in ancient Israel and never was just about in the book of Judges. So it's gratifying that having reached this point in the story of the Israelites in the land, we are finally able to say the text has presented us with a paradigm of what a judge ought to be. And from this point forwards, of course, we will follow the story as judges, as a political system falls away and a new system emerges to take its place. Next time we'll continue with the reading of chapter eight and follow the transition from the end of the judges to the beginning of the Kings. Thank you again for listening to Crises and Kings with Rabbi Michael Hatton, a production of Parties North America in partnership with the Corn Podcast Network. If you liked what you just heard, please give us a five-star review wherever you download your podcast. And don't forget to subscribe so you never miss an episode. Thanks so for you listening. never miss an episode. Thanks for listening.
Thank you again for listening to Crises and Kings with Rabbi Michael Hatton, a production of Parties North America in partnership with the Corn Podcast Network. If you liked what you just heard, please give a five-star review wherever you download your podcasts. And don't forget to subscribe so you never miss an episode. Thanks for listening.